the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody, Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. All right, so welcoming Krista and Lindsay, almost 30 podcast gals. They're here in the room at the Big Silence podcast studio here in Austin, Texas. How exciting. And you're also, you stayed in my tour bus last night. I which, mean, it was a dream. <laughs> it's weird that we've I'm never stayed me. in a tour bus. Is it? I, I don't know. We were on tour. <laughs> we were girls on tour. Definitely didn't have a tour bus. Yeah, didn't have a tour bus. <laughs> no, it was so cool. I was like, and it just was like a, we have these moments often because we have incredible friends like you where we're like, showing us just like what's possible. Yeah. And just, and also being so generous. I feel like that's also just such a beautiful reminder too, that we just have the most yeah generous, beautiful people in our life. So thank you. Yeah. You really show us how to be. I'm like, wow, I can't wait to just give to the people that I love. And I hopefully I do right now, but the way that you and Bobby give is just unmatched. Mm -hmm. Like the way that you bring people in. I'm so grateful. It's just like so easy. It's like, yep, come over, stay here, you know, be with me, do this, do that. Like we're here. It's just so easy. And not a lot of people are like that, especially when they have so, such beautiful full lives already. So I'm so just so grateful to always be with you. Thank you. We love you. Yeah. So Kristen, Lindsay, you both, almost 30, the OGs of podcasting. I say, I'm, Kat and I are like the OGs of fitness. Yes. Big facts. The <laughs> truest the thing I've ever heard. Fact. It's actually wild <laughs> mm -hmm. that you guys, I mean, I was thinking about that today during our workout. I'm like, you have done something really, really incredible. Yep. Really incredible. Well, and you too. So you started six years ago. Yes. And the first podcast that Kat and I were ever on and you came to our office in Manhattan Beach was yours. And we're like, what's the podcast? We'll never forget it. I yeah. mean, that was a huge <laughs> moment for us too because we were such big fans. Yeah. And also the fact that you two were also best friends, entrepreneurs, started your own brand and company. And it was just like a very full circle moment. Yeah, it was beautiful too, because what happens for Lindsay and I is we oftentimes get oftentimes get introduced to people because the listeners are connected. So it was Remy, it was Griffin who oh. loved the show. And they were like, you know what? We should do a collab because they love the show. So a lot of our sponsors, a lot of the brands that we work with are fans of the show, are girls that listen, that love. So it was just beautiful too, because what they saw in us, they also recognized in you and they thought would be a good, you know, relationship. And then it's really just grown from there. But it was a special and big moment. We sat on your little couch in the studio. You guys were shooting Skinny Dip Almonds. Of course. Right I think before. I have some of those in, in, your, in our, your tour bus. In our tour bus. <laughs> and I remember you guys were shooting. The photographer was in there. You guys had your shots. And then you came in and you sat down for the moment. Kat was pregnant as ever. She was so was pregnant. She? Was she? So pregnant. She? No, no, not in 20. You guys. No. 2018. I'm I'm believing that this was true. I know. Wait, is Bella almost four? She's four. She's, yes, Thank I swear. You. Wait, she was I swear pregnant? she's four. You guys, she was pregnant. <laughs> I believe you. I just I like, Because okay. I, I remember the pictures I and I just remembered four. like, okay, yeah. No, and no, I remember no, no, talking I... about it, but yeah, it was in the studio. We talked a lot about your journey of being best friends and, you know, business partners because it's such a unique experience, yeah. especially to do it for so long. You know, Lindsay and I have been working together for seven years now, pretty much. And it's just 
something that is such a unique and beautiful, powerful experience. And not a lot of women are able to do it successfully, building a business with your best friend. It's not super easy. It's the most magical thing, but it really can pose its challenges. So to know people like you that have done it very successfully and build a woman forward team is just, yeah, it was magical. Yeah. That's interesting. So I know I have a lot of questions on the mental health side, but also building a business has to do with your mental health and, and relationships with your best friend and working together too. And so how did you both meet? Okay, let's go back. So <laughs> I was living in New York for about three years, really just trying to make it, trying to survive when it came down to it. I was working a million jobs and auditioning during the day. And through my many odd jobs, I landed at SoulCycle eventually. And so I started teaching for them. And very soon after starting with them, they wanted to move me to LA. And so I said yes right away. I moved out to LA like a month later. And it was out in LA about a year into me living there that a mutual friend of ours connected us because Krista was in New York at the time, but wanted to audition for SoulCycle. And the audition process for SoulCycle is like very Mm -hmm. real. It's kind of rigorous. It's like, you know, you have to do an in-person, you have to do, you know, an actual like uh, mock ride as if you were teaching. And so she wanted to ask me questions and see if I could be supportive in helping her audition. And so we did that. And through the process, you know, we just kind of became like these quick friends where I was like, oh, like, I love her. This is great. You know, no matter what, like, I feel like we're going to be connected. So that didn't end up working out as far as Soul Cycle, but she and Justin, her now husband, they moved out to LA. And we just intersected at a time when we were both feeling, you know, kind of lost. Like, you know, knowing where our passions lied in a general sense, but feeling like we should know more Mm -hmm. about like ourselves and where we should go next and how to find and follow our purpose. And it was just really, um, it was really lonely, but we found a lot of comfort and healing in our budding friendship. And so one day she came to me, she's someone who listened to a lot of podcasts. She's like, do you think we could start a podcast based on our conversations? And I'm just someone who's always down to do something creative no matter what. I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's try it. Like I have a little dinky recorder I use to kind of like record songs and stuff. Like let's just go to, go in our closets and start recording. And so we did that for like seven months, you yeah. know, and then, and then almost 30 was born. Yeah. That's amazing. So then you both were in LA mm-hmm. and then you moved back to New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm asked, I'm going to bring this up yeah. because... I was in LA for 20 years and Kat and I, you know, coming from our own backgrounds in fitness and then coming together and starting this beautiful community with Tone It Up. And now I live in Austin, obviously, since 2019. But um, I'm asking this for myself. How do your fans handle that? I want to say just before you, I think you guys said a perfect, like watching you and your growth was actually really helpful for us, you and Kat. Yeah, yeah. Because it taught us how we want to be with our community, the way in which you serve. And then it also just provided us a little glimpse into us further down the road. And we wanted to always just set the standard with our community that we were best friends. And that meant that we support each other in the choices that we make, whether it's moving, whether it's, you know, additional career opportunities, whatever it was, we wanted to be good examples of like a true friendship, which is like honoring the evolution of your life Mm -hmm. and never Mm -hmm. feeling like you're stuck living in the same place with the same person, with the same friends, like we are all about our evolution. So we have been clear with our community. Like we want you guys to grow and change and evolve and move and date and change jobs and all these things. And we want you to feel supported in that because your intuition and your connection with your intuition is number one. So it was really important that Lindsay and I support each other in those changes of our life. And our community was incredible. You know, they're so sweet and they're so understanding. And they really got to see a real-time example of like what it is like to really support someone through a huge life transition for both Lindsay and for myself. Yeah, I know we used to do, or we, have, we haven't done one in a while, but the walk and talks were like, okay, call me at 8 a.m. We're going on a walk together. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that before about, you know, Lindsay moving to New York and then me moving to Austin. And it is so important to support each other in the transition and the evolution of growing, you know, and becoming bigger adults. Yeah, because yes. at the core of it, you know, we're, 
we're friends. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're like soul sisters. So mm-hmm. it's like, yes, of course there are logistically things that have to change and it could be a little bumpy in trying to figure it out. I'm sure you experienced that with Kat at times. And it's just, it's nothing we can't handle. Yeah. You know, we've, we've navigated so many like logistically complicated seasons. We've always figured it out. But I think what we've also learned is that at the core of it, it's our friendship that like sets the tone for everything else. So we have to tend to that relationship and whatever that means and whatever that needs at the time is it's just really important. And we learned that the hard way. I think the first few years we focused on the business solely Mm -hmm. and then got to a point where we're like, oh wait, we kind of have to nurture like our relationship (laughs) on a regular basis. Yeah. And that goes into the mental health. Mm -hmm. Also, there was a long, uh, quite a bit of time where I I feel, Mm -hmm. not that you're interviewing me. No, no, no. No, but it's very very relevant. Yeah, it's very Uh, relevant. I felt like I didn't do things because I felt like I had to be a certain way for the community. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And then breaking that standard and living in your best truth and what you want to be happy is so important. As long as you're a good fucking person and you're not screwing anyone over. Yes. Like be a good person and do what you are called to in this lifetime. Yep. Yeah. I think that's the standard that Lindsay and I wanted to set was like the most important thing for us is for our community to do what intuitively feels right for them. And if that means a move, if that means uh, whatever, then that's the most important thing. It shouldn't be like a codependent relationship with your community, with your friends, with your family, with, you know, your social media presence, Mm -hmm. where you're just living your life for other people. And I never wanted to do that. You know, we always wanted to be people that evolved and grew and allowed ourselves to really become whatever version of ourselves that we were meant to become in this lifetime. You said codependent. And Terry Cole, psychotherapist. Love, love. Icon. <laughs> love, love, love. She's honestly like, I just, I would pay money to hang out with her. I love her. Yeah. I've gotten it. She was in New York. I'm you were to. out of town. I know. I'm so, I was so Oh my upset. God. You missed like big ballers I dinner. I was so with upset. Terry Cole and Karina. What the heck? I know. I know. I'm going to find her. I but, want her to be my mom. <laughs> me too. <laughs> literally. You're like, my, my own dream. mom, Terry, you're yeah. out. I'm 100%. My own name is Terry. <laughs> but there is a podcast with her. And when we were talking, she said I was, you mentioned codependent. She said I was a high-performing codependent. And I was like, whoa. Like, okay, let me look into that. Like, thinking about what other people think or, like, I'm able to do a lot. But yes. being too worried about other, I don't know. I, I need to call her. She's going to be my therapist next. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. And that's what's interesting about what we do in this space. And when you're someone that's a giver and you're someone that's, here for the community, you're someone that's here to serve. It's such a fine line. It is such a fine line. Are you serving and giving because you're codependent and because you rely on the energy or acceptance or the approval of your audience or of your friends or of your family? Or are you doing this from, you know, an overflowing cup where you feel like you have more to give, you have more to share, you're really in right relation to yourself. And I actually never thought I was codependent until this year. Like I was always like, because I've got like a rebel side to me. I'm pretty good with boundaries. I'm I'm pretty clear on things, but I really didn't see the nuanced ways that it impacted me in my life until I got older, until I was like, whoa, I haven't really understood the energetic dynamics of me being in situations where I always felt like I had to hold the container. In every relationship that I had, it was like, if I wasn't fully, you know, asking someone to hang out, giving them, doing whatever, just overgiving, overextending, overserving, then I wasn't worthy of being in the relationship. Or if I was, you know, not completely making any situation about the other person so much I was so in service to them, I wasn't of any value. Or if I wasn't listening to someone or all these things. And it was, it's been really fascinating to sort of pull back and sort of figure out how those dynamics play in my life. And then right now I'm sort of in a process of like, how am I going to be? And then how am I going to reintroduce myself to the world and to my relationships as a person that's no longer codependent or no longer in the same codependent dynamics that I had before? So what's the answer? Right now, I'm in that like liminal phase. I'm in that phase of like, okay, who am I really outside of pleasing other people, outside of 
you know, serving other people to an extent where I'm abandoning myself? How, who am I really when I'm out of these dynamics and what do I want? How do I show up? Who am I? And so I'm in that phase right now where I'm sort of just like in liminal space. I'm not really fully baked yet. Are you working with a therapist or are you doing? Yeah, I'm working with a therapist right now. My therapist in Los Angeles, she's amazing. Christina Weiss. Um, She's been just so incredible. It was so funny. It was like two years then we've been working together. And I was like, it was at the end of our session. I was like, can you freaking believe that I'm codependent? And she was like laughing her ass off. She's like, yes, I can. Like, <laughs> well, because I'm like, I'm the most independent Same. woman. That's yes. my thing. Well, mm-hmm. people think codependent is, yes. you know, n- being needy, you know, or, re- or yes. re- like overly relying on I mean, someone. And I do need Bobby a lot. Sure. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, there are many different ways in which someone can be codependent. And I think for you, for me, I'm sure for you as well, there are these sneaky ways in which the codependent tendencies can pop up and they can be masked in, you know, just I'm an independent person and I want to do it the way I want to do it. But sometimes it's that need to control in order to control your environment so that, you know, you know, it can be a little like confronting because you're like, have I always been this way? Mm -hmm. But it's been so important, you know, to, for me to like have, an awareness of the relationships where I feel really peaceful. Mm-hmm. I feel like that harmonious feeling in my body where I'm like, oh, this feels really good. I can show up as me no matter what I am on a on a day-to-day basis. And there seems to be like a very clean, peaceful energy. It doesn't have to be perfect all the time, but I can feel like in a resonance way when there's a codependency happening on mm-hmm. either side. So I try to like take note and like kind of make a memory of like, oh, this is how I want to feel mm-hmm. and what like makes that possible. So someone listening, when you say this is like, what is the take? Like, what do you do? How do you snap out of it? Mm-hmm. What is that thing that you do to reset your brain? I think too, your codependency is different. So I think sure. explaining yours yeah. too. Yeah. So my codependency, it really reared its head for me recently in the last year when I moved in with my now fiance. So I didn't realize that I would feel responsible for any mood that he was in, for example. He can be a little moody and like I would kind of take that on and feel as though, did I do something? Did I cause something? What can I do to make it better? And so I would kind of become a little like reachy and clingy where I'm like, please tell me that I didn't do anything wrong. Please tell me the reason for what's happening where he's just like, kind of need to have like a moment, but I really needed him to tell me it was going to be okay. It was your, your thing. So that's an example. And what I would do in a moment like that, what I've learned to do through therapy and couples therapy is remind myself of what is true. So it's like really just pausing, knowing when you're unraveling a little bit. And when your energy is like kind of so outside of your body, calling it back and just reminding myself of what is true. Did anything happen? Was anything said? No. You know, am I okay in this moment? Yes. Is he okay in this moment? Technically, yes. He's just having a moment. And then normally I'll like actually remove myself, go on a walk Mm -hmm. and just allow like the anxiety, allow the activation of my nervous system to just settle down a bit because the activation of the nervous system makes my brain go crazy. So I'm like, let me move my body a little bit yeah, and just kind of work out some of that nervous energy. And then I'll come back and just speak truth about my experience. So, you know, before I was feeling as though I was responsible for the mood that you were in. Mm-hmm. And I know it has nothing to do with me, but I was just feeling like, did I do something? So it's taking responsibility to open up a conversation because then they can say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm in a mood. Yeah, I think Bobby and I bicker mm-hmm. a little over it and we're like, don't take it so personally. And then we say that and then it just triggers us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, when someone is allowed to have a mood and it ne- mm-hmm. is not necessarily because something he did or Mm -hmm. I did, but we take it in and we Mm -hmm. take it so personally and it creates this 
nonsense that doesn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like for the for the younger self that's present in that moment, though, when you hear, don't take it so personally, it's like that feels dismissive. Mm-hmm. It's like, what about me and what about my experience? So there's so much like nuance to relationships too. You know, yes. when you come in and you're like, what I'm saying is, I don't want you to take this personally because it really is hurtful if you do and it's not true. But sometimes it's so hard to like come through with that like fully processed formed statement. So you're like, don't take it personally. Like, and then the person's like, what? This is just my feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of like pushes it down. Yeah, pushes it down. Yes, makes them feel dismissed. Yeah. You know? How long have you been with Justin? 10 years. Okay. Same with my little Bobby. Bob's. Bob's. Dang. Thing with Bob's. 10 years, a decade. He's laying on the floor. He's tired. That's our king. That's our king. He's like, you guys are talking about me. He's like, hey, don't take it personally. Honestly. He's like, whatever, dude. So shifting that conversation, I wanted to talk, Krista, I had never heard you talk before about your mother's mental Mm -hmm. health. And you brought that up today when we were here at my house. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, um, I'm someone that's been aware of mental health for a really long time. You know, when I was little, I'll never forget, I was really young and I used to call it the feeling. I was like, oh no, the feeling is here. The feeling is here. And it was actually depression. I used to feel depression from a very, very young age. And a lot of it was because I was so empathic. I was feeling into the emotional experience of my mother, the emotional experience of my father. And I didn't really understand what was happening until I got a lot older. And I really was able to peel back some of what I thought was normal wasn't normal. And I would figure this out in conversations with people where I'd say things about my experience growing up and they would be horrified. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, that's not funny to people. (laughs) Like I've done that in therapy where I've been like, da, 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 da. And she's like, like, no, that's not funny. And I'm like, like, that's traumatic. Yeah, And you're like, oh, I thought that was normal. I'm like, Mm -hmm. like, but this is not, I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is, that's kind of how I would deal with things. But my mom was someone that struggled with anxiety and depression and was very suicidal for most of my life. So there was a lot of conversation of that. There was a lot of suicidal ideation and there was a lot of, you know, insecure attachment situation going on and just really felt like chaos. And it felt like the only way that I could be in my house was to completely abandon myself for her and for the situation. So that's how I really learned to be a really great listener. I learned to be like a channel for someone else. I learned how to keep people's attention by asking them questions all the time and by keeping the conversation solely about them. And I also learned that it wasn't safe to be attached to someone. It wasn't safe to trust someone. It wasn't safe to be intimate with someone because they were eventually going to either kill themselves or hurt you or you know, degrade you or abuse you. So it was just such an interesting dynamic and it shifted or it's shaped me in such a beautiful way where my gift of being a podcast host is fully because of that. I'm able to fully be present with people and listen and be there for them and ask them questions. And then it's also shaped me in ways that I'm really working on healing, which is my intimate relationships with women, my intimate relationships with my partner, being able to be seen in a way where I'm not scared in a way that my nervous system knows it's okay and so many other ways. So yeah, it's been really challenging and yeah, it's it's just such a wild experience. I feel like there's a lot of similarities because I have had tough relationships with women in the past. Most of my closest friends are men. Mm-hmm. Intimacy is difficult. So I think there's a lot of oh, yeah. the same. It's hard. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. You know, you have to really and I I was like that too for most of my life where it was men relationships because my my dad was like the best. Yeah. And so it was super easy for me. I've always been in really healthy, loving, intimate relationships. I've always had guy friends. I've always felt like I could be my best self around men. It's always been really easy. But my relationships with women, I didn't really notice the pattern until I got older where I was like, huh, what's happening where I'm meshing with women I'm becoming codependent with women. And I was also becoming, getting in these situations where I would fully abandon myself for the other woman. Mm-hmm. So I'd almost be like a sidekick. I was mm-hmm. like a sidekick friend where it would always be about them. I'd always be talking about them. We'd always be doing whatever they wanted to do. And then I would be completely just like kicked to the side and I never really knew who I was. So I've been really grateful that I've been able to really heal a lot of that with Lindsay by just like tiptoeing closer and closer to like a deep level of intimacy with our conversations, with our time together, with our trust, with being really honest and vulnerable. And it's like been really beautiful to be met every single time and be healed in that way. But it's 
it's still a journey and it's not perfect. I have to catch myself being like, okay, you didn't do anything wrong. It's all good. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Kind of like in the moment of like, ooh, someone said something or did something. I feel bad. I feel wrong. I feel abandoned. I feel neglected. Okay. What am I going to do? I'm going to like sit with it, have a conversation, be with myself, be with my younger self and really work on it. Is your mom still around? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's your relationship now? So when I was in college, I created boundaries and I didn't know what I was doing, but I really, really set boundaries. So I was like, oh, this is how it's going to be. This is how I'm going to be with you. This is how we're going to end up being in relationships, which saved, you know, saved a lot of my life. And we've had an interesting journey and she's been my greatest teacher for sure. And it's been powerful because the conversations I've had on the podcast she's listened to and we've actually been able to speak about. We've actually been able to be in conversation. So I'm really grateful for her evolution and her journey and really being more open to hearing about the experiences that I've had and hearing about me. So yeah, it's way better than it ever has been. I think my work is really like, it's really hard to spend 30 years of your life completely abandoning yourself with someone and then all of a sudden be like, hey, this is who I am. Mm, Like it is the ultimate test of like, how I'm showing up in the world. Can I be myself? Am I going to say how I feel? Am I going to be shiny and bright? It's like, it's the ultimate teacher. Yeah. That we're like so in line mm. with all that. <clears throat> I know. Same, same, same. And you know, my mom passed last year, but I gave up, like gave up a lot of myself for her. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And with Kat, I'm sure Kat was really helpful yeah. for you in healing that female relationship. Yeah. Having that and, um, I mean, Kat was there, you know, till the last days. Mm-hmm. Are we going to cry again? I know. Um, <laughs> I was stopping myself. I'm I like, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. So I think, I guess for listeners just to say like on that, you know, if you notice, and I think with anyone in life, just noticing patterns of your life. Yeah. Do you find yourself unable to be yourself with women, unable to be yourself with men, unable to be yourself with your community? Do you find yourself in these patterns where you're kind of confused. You're like, why am I not able to have really deep, intimate relationships with women? Like what's happening? Kind of looking back at your childhood or your relationship with your parents is often very helpful because they really set the standard about how you could be with women or how you can be with men in the case of male relationships. So just understanding and tracking that will really help you to understand where you are at in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Lindsay, what about you? What's your parental relationship? I was... The peacekeeper, like my goal was to create harmony between my parents because I thought that's what my job was for some reason as a child. Big job for a kid. Yeah. It definitely (laughs) was child vibes. Yeah, it was not my job. But I think I took on that responsibility not only for myself, but, you know, for my younger siblings. And then also just really, I think on a soul level, wanting my parents to experience yeah, a loving relationship in this lifetime, you know? And do I think they love each other? Yes. But I I don't know if there's like that deep, deep, deep respect. And I think that was hard for me to see, you know? So, so my role really became, okay, you know, I'm definitely the mediator between the two. I would kind of be the messenger. I would affirm how my dad felt. I would affirm how my mom felt which caused me to not really know how I felt about mm-hmm. not only their relationship, but really about the role that I had kind of taken on as such a young kid. And I think for me, I didn't really have that. I say this respectfully because I, I don't think they knew any better, but like, I don't think I had that example of like healthy communication, mm-hmm. of respect you name it, in the relationship. And so when I was old enough to kind of engage in relationship, I tended to go after men who really didn't have time for me. It was kind of like mediocre treatment. Respect was like always shaky. And I think that was not only because I saw that in some capacity growing up, but really it made me look good. Mm -hmm. You know, it made me look like, wow, she's awesome. But what was happening was like I was abandoning myself in so many ways, not really demanding or like 
holding that standard for myself of like, yeah, I actually deserve respect. I deserve someone who really sees me for me and doesn't want me to be anything else. And so I had to learn the hard way. You know, I I feel like I really ran the gamut of like people I dated and oh, I hear you. Yeah. I definitely yeah. ran the gamut. Well share up. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's wild when I look back, but I had to. You yeah. know, I really had to experience that contrast in my life to now understand what I really value and what I really deserve. And to come full circle on my parents, what I learned through therapy, many things, but one of the things I learned and really understood on a soul level is that their souls chose this. You know, it kind of gives me peace to think about it like that, where I am not the one to save them. I am not the one to show them and teach them, you know, and it's just such a hard thing. I mean, I still get really, really sad about it. I get really sad about thinking that, oh man, in this lifetime, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to experience this or learn this. It's not my job, you know, and I just, I love them for where they're at and I trust that their soul chose this. And if they're going to come back around, I, I just trust that kind of journey of the soul as, you know, maybe cheesy as it sounds, but it gives me a lot of peace and it helps me to pull my energy back from their situation. I'm just going to get a give a shout out to us yeah. <laughs> and being we love am- those. I know. amazing daughters and to be able to come from something like that and to be so wise and work in this space and know how to heal and to be so strong. Yes. Like, yeah, I know. Amazing. I know. I am. I'm really, I know we all are, but like, I'm very proud. I'm very, mm -hmm. cause it's like, I don't know, maybe in past life, lifetimes I didn't do this. And now I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. get to do this for like my future children or people around me who kind of feel, you know, it's just like, it's bigger. Yeah, I'm grateful that I don't have animosity. Like, I'm yeah. just like, mm-hmm. yes, man, I really, I don't hold anything. I don't hold anger. I don't hold resentment. I don't hold hate. I just, I totally was able to just let go of that and really see like, whoa, yeah, it just made me who I am. And I really love who I am. Like, I, I know that it's not perfect and there's things that like come up, but I'm like, ooh, there's a lot of special things about me because of the hard things that I went through. Yeah. When my mom was passing in hospice and she was like, kept speaking of regret, regret and how she wasn't a good mother. Mm -hmm. And I said, mom, because of you, I am so proud of the woman I am today. And I think that's so important. And then for us as women and daughters to own that and then to keep, you know, Bring it forward. Now we can take what the pain that we went through, the lessons that we went through, and share it to our communities, which is a beautiful thing. Yes. And I think it's important, like something that you brought up, something that you brought up. It's like within healing, it's not worrying about taking everyone with you. And I think that's a huge part of it when you're doing healing on your family lineage. It's about your healing. It's not about you healing your mom, healing your dad, healing your siblings, healing whoever in your family. It's actually fully about you. And it's about going through your own process of grief, of sadness, of anger, of whatever, and then coming to the place that feels really good for you and feels really natural. But it's not, it's just so important. It's not about the other person. And that's what I really had to let go of was like, oh yeah, this isn't my again, this is their soul's thing and this isn't my thing. And I've got enough to worry about. You know what I mean? We have, as humans, we have enough healing to do. We have enough, we have enough of our own journey to worry about. We cannot really bring everyone along with us. Yeah. I love that. And also earlier you were saying, even, I'll not have your exact words, but just knowing that it's not going to be perfect all the time in the process of life. There's the highs, the lows, the in-betweens, but you have to, you know, embrace it all. Mm-hmm. And we're always going to continue to heal and have the bad days, have the good days, have the arguments with your husband mm-hmm. um, and then <laughs> the love. <laughs> but I think it's so important. But I wanted to come back also to, um, we were talking earlier today about anxiety. And finally, I feel like people are talking about anxiety a lot more 
and like realizing it or I was telling you earlier, like I had anxiety as a kid, but I didn't know what it was like in my classroom, heart racing, like what's going on that. And I'm so happy that we can talk about it more because once you can give it a name, then you're like, I'm having anxiety. Mm -hmm. And you both have so many tools and I want to hear all your tools (laughs) (laughs) to deal with life, anxiety and everything. Yeah. It's, it's been, um, it's been really kind of surprising to me, like as an adult, realizing how long I've had anxiety. And I kind of had to be a little sad for a moment, you know, kind of realizing that, oh, wow, I've had this for quite some time. Because I think, you know, little me and teen me did my very best to kind of just like keep it moving during times when I was like totally dysregulated or feeling out of my body or, you know, any other symptom of anxiety. And I think what's been so empowering about giving it a name is also this like compassion I have for not only myself, but like other people around me who were also anxious and Mm. also experiencing that anxiety. And it makes so much more sense why it kind of uh, you know, really created one another at times. I'm talking mainly in the family dynamic. But my anxiety really showed up again in like moving in with my fiance. I was like, oh, wow, there's a mirror. There's a mirror when you have a partner. And even Krista, like I, when we first started almost 30 in those first few years, I didn't realize how my anxiety around, you know, stepping into a role or a purpose that I felt kind of like an imposter in Mm -hmm. brought up so much anxiety and what it would do would kind of, I wouldn't be able to show up as myself in relationship. I wouldn't be able to speak my truth. It like would really, really clog my throat chakra in so Mm -hmm. many ways. I felt like I couldn't say how I felt. I felt like anytime I would speak, it would just, yeah, it just wouldn't flow. It wouldn't come from here or here. It would just kind of be all stopped up. And so I've really, for me, the first step has always been to regulate my body, like my nervous system. So, you know, it's been so important for me to use movement, ecstatic movement. Yes, working out's amazing, but I kind of like to take it to the next level of being able to use movement as like a cathartic release, kind of visualize all the anxious thoughts and feelings as like just these little like entities, you know, in my body that I can literally shake off, release through sound. And I think it's, it's kind of giving that physicality to it that helped me to make it not so insurmountable. Mm -hmm. You know, it just really kind of broke it up and then, you know, bringing it then to therapy, just having a really honest conversation about what I'm feeling, what's beneath that feeling. (laughs) When was the first time I felt this? And just kind of peeling back the onion in that way. And so then in the moments of being anxious, I'm not so hard on myself. I'm thinking of five-year-old Lindsay who felt like she had to be, you know, the entertainment in a room that was full of conflict and what have you. And how that manifested in my body and how much pressure I felt. And so it's it's broken it down so that it's not as scary and not as like running, you know, running things in the background like it had always been. So since you've been through therapy, does that, because I know that throat thing the first time I went oh. to therapy, like I couldn't even speak. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Like, have I you relate. had that, Krista? Yeah, yeah, I have. But yeah, not in therapy. I'm trying to think of when I have, I have that in intimate conversations with people when they're like asking me about my life yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah or else it's like a flood yeah it's like it's weird once I started doing therapy and I was actually that was what helped me have a voice was when you start going to therapy and you're like I have to be open here and like I have to speak the truth I have to have a voice and now I I have a voice and I don't have it stuck in my throat chakra yeah. Yes. Yeah. That feeling of stuckness sucks. And yeah. if, to hear yourself say these things and recount these experiences or actually say how you feel, it's a wild experience. Yeah. 
But I think it's through that practice that then you're able to bring it to relationships where you feel safe, where you're like, okay, I'm going to say how I feel. But yeah, I mean, I remember even, and you can track it on the podcast, I feel like there was a lot happening in my throat chakra early on. I lost my voice a lot. I was Mm -hmm. not speaking my truth. I was like in relationships that really weren't serving me. And it was just all sorts of messed up. So your body will tell you. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah, I think with the voice, it's you can hear all the time how much people are in their body, how calm they feel. Like the voice is such a good indicator of where someone's at. If they're high, if they're low, if they're saying something, like you can tell when people are kind of speaking something that's not really theirs by the tone of their voice, by how freely they speak. So I think the voice is such a good indicator of how people are doing from like an emotional perspective or mental perspective. And we can also apply that to our relationships. You know, how can you tune into your partner's voice? How can you tune into your best friend's voice? How can you tune into what they're saying, but also the tone and cadence and, you know, flow of it to really see where they're at or see like what's going on? Yeah. So Krista, what are, and I agree with that, what are your tools though? For anxiety. Yeah. So I think my anxiety journey, I was someone that I had started to have panic attacks in high school, but I didn't really know what was going on. I went to the hospital a few times, but no one really told me like what was happening. It was like, it was just such a shameful topic in my family. So I never really understood. And then I started to have really bad anxiety. I think mostly outside of college where I was just working at an unaligned job in an unaligned relationship wanting something different for my life, but not really knowing what was what was going on or why it was happening. But I think the most helpful thing for me that I've really been able to look at over the years is really my lifestyle choices. And I think this is what works for me specifically. It might work for you if you try it. It might not. But I was at a point where I was drinking on the weekends and then I would get anxious on Sundays. I would feel so stressed and overwhelmed because there was a lot of sugar and alcohol still being metabolized in my body. So I often felt anxious because my body was completely off. I was doing workouts that were also really, really stressful on my nervous system. I was doing HIIT. I was running. I was doing tons of different things. I was also taking stimulants and I was taking, you know, recreational drugs at the time, which was also affecting my nervous system. I was also not sleeping a lot and I wasn't getting a really restful night's sleep. I was also not really doing much to take care of my mental health, like journaling, reading, walking, nature, all the things that I do now. So by really taking stock over the years of like what things provide a good environment for my anxiety to thrive and what situations do not support my most calm, peaceful mental health state, how can I really take a look at those and either remove them from my life or just work with them in a different way so that I can show up much better. So for me, that means I don't drink. Drinking is not something that feels really good for me. That's really helped my mental health a lot. I don't take drugs anymore. You know, that was like a phase in my life where it was like the party phase. I also make sure to meditate every single day. It's like my non-negotiable meditation. I spend a lot of time in nature. I do really calming relaxing workouts. And I make sure that my mental health and my connection to God and source is number one over anything so that I can have that as the foundation for the rest of my day by knowing that this is like how I organize my life. All right. So you both have all these tools. What happens when you get burnout? I'm sure you've had burnout. Mm -hmm. So do you Mm -hmm. put that, do you say no to work? (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) I just booked a a trip to Cabo. (laughs) Put it in the calendar. Mm -hmm. Not available because I'm I'm really bad and I burn out all the time. Because that's like the codependency too. Yeah. So it's like when we think about burnout, it's really like you're putting other people's needs above your own. You're really not in tune with your own needs enough to know what you need in that moment. Do I need to take the night off? Do I need to take the afternoon off? Do I need to rest? Do I need to sleep? Do I need to watch my sugar intake? Like what's going on with us become second priority to other people's needs. And I'll see this happen so much in our community where people are getting burnt out because they're being fueled by the desire of acceptance or, you know, love or adoration or whatever it is. And that's really running their life and they're not prioritizing their own peace, their own mental health, their own experience. So for burnout, I think I really started to feel burnout when I had my hormonal health journey and I was just really fueled by this new 
business venture with Lindsay, this new friendship, I was so inspired. And then it was also with the other side of me that was like, I need this to work because I want to be someone that lives up to my potential in my lifetime. That's like my number one thing. I want to live up to my potential. So I felt like, okay, I have this opportunity to live up to my potential. I've failed many times before in what I was doing. I want this to work. So there was that drive too. So we were working full-time jobs on tour, you know, recording on weekends and nights and, you know, doing all the things. And I just was like, so not taking care of myself and my body. And my body just was like, this is not happening. I had such bad adrenal fatigue. My hormones were just all out of whack. And I felt really, really uncomfortable. And it forced me to really slow down and really just pare down on the, what I was doing and get really serious and honest about how I was spending my time. I was spending my time on my phone a lot. I was spending my time watching TV when I was trying to relax. I was not sleeping a lot. I was always on, always thinking about the next thing. And that really provided this like breeding ground for me to just feel like my brain was fried and my body was rejecting what I was doing. So I had to take a break to relax, to really think about my diet differently, think about my workouts differently and spend more time unplugged than I was plugged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're good with that. I've not, I'm, been, it's actually a new me lately. I don't mm-hmm. care about anything right now. <laughs> I really don't. Well, you I'm also like, have someone doing this social, which yeah. has given yeah. you, you know, freedom. kind of a freedom yeah. to like just step back. a week, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like anyway, I'm just, texting it's her now. crazy what like you just, I mean, we all know this and, and Lindsay took a month off social media too, but not being online, I'm just like, whoa, the opportunity for me to compare, to yeah. tap into people's stories, to get jealous, to get FOMO is, doesn't exist. It's wild. I just realized I'm so leaky when I'm on Instagram every day. Like it just, I thrive when I have like kind of a blank canvas to work off of. And Instagram is a constant, I'm seeing people's lives, I'm seeing their creations and there's no room for my own to come through. Mm -hmm. And so like that social media hiatus just showed me like, wow, there are ideas and visions and things waiting to drop in. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they just came pouring, and I was like, oh. <laughs> well, I remember pre-Instagram, and I, I love Instagram. Yes. Our, mm-hmm. our careers and our businesses exactly. are, you know, it's a great tool. But I remember pre-Instagram, I had a lot less anxiety, a lot less stress, a lot less. Like, Bobby, maybe when we go to Cabo— I delete Instagram for five days. I've I never done that. that. Really? I love that for Never you. done it. I love that for Bobby, you. Bobby, it's a thing. You could totally do that. I'm two weeks right now. Lindsay did a month. It's But no it's one's going to see my vacation. It's the vibe. <laughs> That's actually big facts because when I'm, I'm vacationing, I'm very inspired to share. But you so can do it. You can do it after. And take cool yes. photos, but upload it later. Yes. But there's something about, and I think it, there's a leakiness in sharing it right away mm-hmm. that kind of takes from enjoying the, the enjoying and just like the presence of it and like you know the, I don't know. Because we're, we're shutting down the big silence office for that entire week. So no meetings, no nothing. And then I, with Tone It Up, taking time off. You know what, Bobby? You hear me? You can do it. Bob's. He's Bob's giving a thumbs, thumbs up. up. <laughs> I'll, check, I'll check in on you. Yeah, because that will be the first time well, in over and a don't decade. And it's really, yeah. Re- yeah, don't answer. it's really resetting your dopamine. You have yeah. to really reorganize your brain to find dopamine in other places. And then once you do, it's actually really easy. Like right now, I don't want to because I don't want to be in that phase of being attached to it. And you'll be surprised. Like, I'm like, we have so much going on. You have so much going on. I'm like, how did I do this too? And I'll go back. I love Instagram. I love creating. It's a blast. I love every single person that I connect with online. It's so important to me. But right now it's not feeling like the spot. And also it's like, I want to set an example for people. Like you can take a day off. You can take time off. Like For my own mental health. We have a mental health foundation and we help everyone. And I need to make sure I'm Mm -hmm. fueling myself. Yes. There's a different energy people have too when they're not attached to being online. Like you've met people that are very attached to their phones and the internet and social media and being online. And you almost hang out with half of them. They're Mm -hmm. never fully with you. There's not, there's a lack of fullness of presence of person because their brain is halfway in the social media realm. 
We were at dinner last night and I was looking around and I was so distracted. (laughs) I was distracted by people being distracted on their phones. Wow. Because it almost made me sad. I looked around and all the, mostly couples, they were all on their phones Mm -hmm. at dinner. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a second. That's my nightmare. That actually makes me so sad. So sad. Yeah, I will say I was happy when I saw that my screen time was down by 23% this Wait, past week. That's, that's amazing. amazing. Good for you. That's amazing. Well, Jeremy was in town. We were hanging out. We were going on yes. the boat. We were wake surfing, tubing. Like We were living life. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was great. And speaking of um, dinner, I'm hungry. I, I know. Think- um, We're gonna go to ski tonight, shorts. tonight, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. We just got we just hanging with the palms. I want to go in the pool later. Yeah. I, I want to go to ski shore. Yeah, we got things to do. Yes, <laughs> we got life to live. We got a life to live. This has been so much fun, and I yeah, know. just sending love to anyone listening. You know, yeah. if you're going through something, just know that you're not alone. And I know the big silence is such a beautiful support. Almost thirty. We have tons of episodes and conversations to support yeah. you in your journey as well. And I know the Tone It Up community, the TIU girls are just some of our favorite. Like whenever we've done stuff together, it's been just such a joy and a delight to connect with them because they're the most beautiful heart-centered people. Yeah. And don't worry, I'm not, I might be off social media for five days, if that, but I love your DMs. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yes. I know. The sweetest. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Krista and Lindsay. It's been a pleasure having you here in the podcast studio and here at the house. Best. We're going to go find some Pomeranians and jump in the pool and <laughs> yes. go, go to ski shores. <laughs> yes, baby. Thanks, honey. Yeah. Love you guys. Love Bye. You. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to TheBigSilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. The big silence. The big silence. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. The big silence.